1: with dale motherfucking comstock american badass volume four and dale, dale always seems to tell me the best stories when i'm not allowed to record so maybe we we'll, we'll post well i don't know i didn't record it the nsa will have some good episodes but uh not yeah, you no the episode sure, right? so, yeah no really no <laughs> shit they have the good episodes you want the unedited episodes go buy your nsa membership we'll, they will give you everything They'll even give you the videos of me on my phone shitting, like, don't even know I'm being recorded. This podcast is already going off the rails, so uh, Dale Comstock, back in the saddle. Everybody knows him. No need for introduction, but I'll do it anyway. Author of American Badass, and we've been going over every Sunday a different chapter or a different section, and today we're doing volume four of American Badass, and we might just go on forever doing these volumes, so don't look for an ending, but Dale coming live from Paradise, Bali. It's all yours, Dale.
0: Yeah, man. Okay, so thanks for having me on. And everybody that's out there listening, I'm not going to go through my background history. If you don't know who I am, uh, go to episode one. And mm-hmm. uh, and, and we talked quite a bit about that, so you'll know who I am. Um, Trying not to waste too much time on me, me, me. More so on uh, the stories, right? So we decided to write, well, not write, but we decided that uh, it'd be cool if I could tell my stories about my book Um, in my own words. And so that's actually what we're doing. So today we're, I think, on episode four. um, And uh, we have quite a ways to go just through the American Badass book. And then uh, down the road, as as Tom just alluded to, this could go on for quite some time because I'm actually writing another book, um, which picks up where I left off in 2011, my military career and my Hollywood stints and stuff like that. And everything I've done since that time to the present time, which is quite a bit and uh, quite unique. And uh, I think uh, you'll enjoy, definitely enjoy those stories. Um, So what I want to do today is I want to pick up where I kind of left off last week. I talked about my time in the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, That was actually where I started out in my military career. Um, I ended up initially in the 2nd, 325th Airborne Infantry and then... Um, my platoon was selected to become the 82nd Airborne Division LERP platoon, which was, um, basically it was, we started the the LERP program from Vietnam. It was, you know, they stopped it and then they wanted to resurrect it back in 1982 timeframe. Yeah, 82. And so that's where I ended up, 82nd LERPS. So, um, so with all that said, I'm going to kind of pick up, um, with talking a little bit about my experience in the 82nd Rope Division, right? So, last time we talked, I mentioned that uh, I was coming up on my, my four year uh, ETS day, right? In my uh, enlistment, right? And uh, I had a choice, either realist or get out. And to be honest with you, I wasn't really happy with uh, being in the military anymore. Um, being an infantryman, digging holes just to fill them up and sitting under a tree for three days straight, cleaning your M16, just, uh, it just wasn't very challenging. So, you know i was at a crossroad i, I didn't want to go to special forces and uh but i didn't know if i wanted just to do the time and the hard work to get it and i felt like i was missing a civilian world i was married i had a daughter at the time very small and uh as i mentioned last time my mom's the one that pretty much put the kibosh on the whole idea of getting out when i called her i said hey mom think about getting out you know my ets t- days coming up and would you mind if my wife and my daughter come and live with you for a few months so i get on my feet you know and uh, I still remember, man. She was like, no, not no, but hell no. I'm <laughs> not coming <laughs> <Yeah>. home. <laughs> and I'm like, shit, man. So I thought, man, my mom loved me. But so that was, she made a decision for me. And I realized that I'm on my own. And then uh, and all these other things started happening, right? So I got the letter to go to Delta Force selection. um I went through all that and I made it through the assessment selection program and ended up in OTC, which I'll talk about here in a minute. But first, I want to talk about the 82nd Airborne Division. So, um, not sure if I really mentioned it last time, it's all kind of running together, but uh, my experience as a LERP, uh, you know, in, in, in the 80s was pretty cool. And uh, we worked in four to five man teams, you know, we are as a long range reconnaissance, uh, uh, you know, patrolman, you know, our job was to go during the cold war to go behind enemy lines up to 120 kilometers, right? Anyway, we inserted any way by any means, right? Whether it's by foot, boat, helicopters, parachute, but our job was to get behind enemy lines, hunker down, and then report back to friendly lines and tell them what the, what the, what's going on with the enemy activity, especially in um, in the on in in the backside of their, what they call a FIBA, right? The forward edge of the battle area. Um, so, you know, LERPs have quite a history, especially in Vietnam. And uh, I think, Tommy, you're gonna have, uh, um, you know, basically my military um, mentor, um, on your show here, not too long from now, who was a lerp in the uh, in Vietnam, and he's got some amazing stories. And when I met the guy initially, r- roughly around 1982, out the Special Forces Air Corps Force at Camp McCall, I realized that Gary O'Neill, um, this is this guy is going to be my uh, military mentor, man. He's a he's an amazing dude, man. He's uh he's cool. And so, anyways, um, so my time in 82nd, you know, it was uh, it was very interesting. And I remember a couple of things happened to me, right? So I'm going to try to compress all this into one, one hour. So I got a lot to tell. So listen closely. Um, so a lot of weird things were happening back then. Um, one of the weird things that happened, and I'm going to bring this up because it's important to note this, I think. Um, you know, when we talk about, you know, so we got the new, you know, this new guy in that calls himself the president of the United States, um, you know, he's not my president, and I don't mind saying that. It sounds kinda you know, cliche, but uh, you know, he and I don't share the same values, not even close. But anyways, um, you know, now that he's you know said basically transgenders can come back in the military and you know, you can trade around and do transgender things and you know, and to hell with everybody else. So and and the and the reason that's unsettling for me is because I had a very bad experience with uh, something like it's very close to that and i'll explain that here in a second <clears throat> what when i'm t- as i'm thinking about this what happened was about three two and a half years ago And this will be another story later on but i was working as a bodyguard in uh in los angeles for a very uh a very rich 31 year old millionaire. it was amazing right um she fell in love with me it was like a story right like a movie and it, it's gonna be a movie but uh <laughs> her friends uh her friends were all super liberal, right? And they just couldn't get their head around the idea that why are, we, why are we keeping transsexuals and, you know, all these other trans things and, you know, fucking, you know, homosexuals out of the military, combat arms, and infantry, and blah, blah, blah. She goes, everybody should be allowed to, you know, experience that and do that and be that, right? And she, what they don't understand was, and I tried to explain it to them, was unless you've been there, you know, you really don't have an opinion. Yeah. It would be like me um, telling a brain surgeon how to do brain surgery with no knowledge about brain surgery, other than if you got a headache, you know, try an aspirin. Um, and so I have no, I have no credibility whatsoever to weigh in on that topic. Right. I might shut the fuck up and sit down. Yeah. And, uh, and basically that's what they're telling me, you know, and I was like, you know, you guys have never been in the military, right? Let alone, for example, the infantry. And so you, you have really no, you, you really have no opinion that matters um, until you really understand the uh you know the um the dynamics of the military you got no opinion and that goes for anybody out there you have no opinion of any value you know you can have your opinion but it means shit yeah. right and uh and so um so i'm getting this earful from these i mean and these were not these were billionaires and millionaires right blah 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 blah, blah you know rich chicks you know and yeah. freaking androgynous dudes, you know, telling me, you know, all this bullshit, you know, about, you know, how the military should be and they, they themselves never spent a day, probably never got in a street fight, you know, on a playground or thing. So, um, so I remember I had, you know, I thought about it and I, And I told them a story, right? So basically, and and so I'm gonna save that part of the story for later on when we go into the other book. It's pretty funny. The whole story with with these liberals, man, blew their mind. I literally had them getting up and leaving because they're like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't stay here and listen anymore. This This is blasphemy.
1: (laughs) Who is this man? Who is this straight white man?
0: It it was funnier than shit, man. But um, (laughs) so what happened was this, Uh, here's one story, right? I just wanna kind of expand just for a second. So we had this guy, so we, you know, we're a platoon, of infantry guys, you know, we're pretty tight-knit, you know, we feel kind of elite and special because we're the LERPs of the 82nd Airborne Division, you know, with the eyes and ears of 15,000 paratroopers, and, uh, you know, we were proud of that, and the reason we were the LERPs, because our platoon was selected out of all the infantry companies in uh, in the 82nd to be the LERPs because of our record. Um, we had one... Many what they call arteps, which is a um, um, basically field evaluations, right? And you scored on and blah 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 performance, and we we were like the champions, and so we became the Lerps. So we were pretty good, and uh, which was kind of weird because when you look at back going back in that time, right, 1981, 82, 83, in the 82nd Airborne Division, they called us the jumping junkies for a reason, right? And so, <laughs> and so and it's because everybody was stoned, man. You know, my whole platoon was always stoned, except for three guys, actually four guys. Me, my two best friends that joined the Army with me, um, Joe and... And they're still my best friends to this day. They're like my brothers. And then the platoon sergeant, uh, Sergeant First Class Wilson, who was basically... He looked like uh, Tom Berenger from platoon, man. looked just (laughs) like him. And he was a Vietnam vet from AmeriCal, you know, and he just had that freaking... Everything about him said Tom Berger, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I've never forgot this guy. And he's taught me some, you know, some great lessons that I've never forgotten. I, actually, I still apply today. But, um, we were the right, only four, uh, Lieutenant Seneca. he was a platoon leader, young butter bar lieutenant, you know, and, and, uh, you know, he tried really hard, but he was squared away. So, okay, five of us didn't smoke any dope. Everybody else was fucked up. Uh, and so, and I, I I tell you what. It was funnier than shit. If you walk down the base of the, the building of the 82nd, any, take any barracks you want. If you look, walk around the base, there were marijuana plants growing from all the seeds. They were getting pushed out the windowsills. And they were growing on the bottom. It was that kind of weird shit, right? And so... Hey, you know whatever right but we were badass right we might have been stoned or they might have been stoned but you know we were pretty badass yeah. um and so <laughs> what happened was um we're, we were assigned to the 313th military intelligence battalion as alerts right which is kind of weird and the reason is kind of weird it was weird for us because all the other platoon they were called uh they were called rims rim um, back rims uh remote sensors um so these were guys that would go out and also in the woods you know, on the forward edge of battle, they would, you know, plant sensors and, and radar systems, you know, in the field to detect, you know, the enemy coming across. Um, and so you know, they kind of lead to, I guess, you know, but they were an infantry. And uh, every morning, my platoon at the company formation, we had to have a company formation for PT, and uh, we all formed up as a company. The, uh, the first sergeant would call the, the company in formation, you know, to attention and, my platoon, every time we snapped to attention, we would sound off with recon, right? Just like in the movies, right? And, uh, and nobody else said anything. None of the other platoons didn't have that as free decor, right? They'd all look at us like recon, you know, like whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, we were like recon, <laughs> go, kick your ass, recon. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so one day we get this guy, man, and. Uh, you know, we were always getting new guys from time to time. This guy shows up, he's assigned to the Lurps, and uh, we're like, where are you from, you know? And actually, back in this time, this was 1983. It was a black guy, right? And uh, not that that means anything, um, but he was out of the Ranger Battalion, and we thought, fuck, man, you know, you don't hear a lot of black guys in the Ranger Battalion, right, or any combat arms, especially back during that time. So he shows up, and right away we're all thinking, "Man, this guy got has to be part freaking core, you know, the you know, freaking ranger." And you know, and and uh, you know. So, anyways, um, so we 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 accepted him right away. Man, it's like this is really cool. And we actually looked up to him. A lot of us did. Like, wow, we really admire this guy, you know. And uh, and so I remember every day we would be running down the street in formation, and, uh, and a lot of times we saw him running on his own. And he would have he would have on his running shoes, um, no socks. Um, he would have on the short little black, you know, the little the, we call them ranger panties, right? The little we had these little black running shorts um, that did look like little panties, right? And uh, <laughs> and uh, booty shorts, right? In fact, my wife wears them all the time, and her ass cheeks are hanging out. It's pretty hot, um, <laughs> but but uh, and he would run, and he had no shirt on, and he wore a yellow scarf around his neck, a yellow scarf around his fucking neck, and he had a bald head, right? And we were like. Okay, that's a little weird, but he's a ranger, so it's cool. It must be cool. That's what they do, right? <laughs> we just kind of accepted that, right? Didn't think much of it. And uh, and so, um, one day, some you know a few months later, I can't remember how long it was. I had a I had a room with four guys in it, right, in my room, and you know we were allowed to kind of like adjust our rooms a little bit, you know, and, and uh, we had our four beds. We set our wall lockers up, so the room was kind of compartment. It's a big room, you know, and and. Uh, you know we had a tv in there and you know the four of us that went there were like cool man we're like brothers you know we enjoyed our time in our room and uh so every every weekend when the platoon would come out of the field it was sop to have a party in the barracks right get drunk You know, some guys would get high, but get drunk and and sneak the hookers upstairs. You know, and just, (laughs) just have a freaking blast, right? That's just what we did. It was like being in prison, right? Yeah, because it was too. We didn't have the money to get in a cab and go downtown and chase pants, right? So we just did it all right there in the barracks, and uh, it was more convenient. And so, um, I remember this one particular time. I was in the primary, uh, what they call it at the time it was called PNOP, which is the primary non-commissioned officer's course. And it was for the junior NCOs, right? I just made E-5, Sergeant, and I had to go to this course, which is on Fort Bragg. And on this particular weekend, on Friday, we were released and said, look, you can go home for the weekend, but you have to be back Sunday. And uh, like, cool, 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 right? So I go home, go home, get home. And uh, and the platoon party's happening Saturday night, you know, everybody getting fucked up. Except me, I didn't drink, right? Um, actually, me and my two best friends, right, that joined the army with me from Sacramento, Joey and Kenny, we weren't party types. We weren't drinkers or nothing. We just kind of like, okay, it was kind of cool. We, you know, we were more into fitness and it we just weren't that freaking rambunctious. But uh, so I remember um, they were partying their ass off, right? And when they got, they partied, man, they partied hard they probably where like, they would just beat the shit out of each other. They were best friends and beat the shit out of each other, you know, Just there was blood, there was, you know, bodies laying around the shower, you know, freaking, <laughs> it was crazy, right? But then next day, everybody was in love again, right? Fucking yeah. like got back out in the field and kick some ass. Um, you know, and that's what made us who we were. But there's one particular night. Um, I remember I had to get up at 0500 and be back at Peanock. And uh, one of the things we didn't do most he just didn't do it right. Is we when we made our beds right, we tighten our sheet, our bed spreads in military style. We do not want to screw up our beds right because we want to lay in them and have to make the bed every morning right because there was an inspection. You know, we want to make sure our shit was right. So we all tended to sleep on top of our bed and our blankets, and we just wrap up in a in a. Uh, a nylon poncho liner right camouflage nylon poncho liner which was great um, they're like you know military whoopies you know whoopies and uh you know that's what we carry the field with us they were very warm and so it's convenient right just roll up in your little poncho liner and sleep on top of your bed you know and uh <clears throat> so i might have my initials in it you know and dac and this particular night these guys are partying and i'm like man you know i got to go to school tomorrow i don't have time for this so i you know we go to bed and and we didn't lock rooms; the doors either. Another rooms, right? That was just you didn't have to, right? It's like we trusted everybody. you know All the doors were always unlocked, and uh, it was kind of SOP, anyways. The NCO, you know, the two star said keep doors unlocked because they want to come in your room at any time and inspect, you know. So we did. And uh, so I get up, you know, and I'm off to school at zero five hundred in the morning. And then, uh, and here's what happens: so these guys get like totally wasted and i remember there's this one guy a little short dude man um i can't remember his name i think it was zuschlag or something like that anyways he goes to bed he's he's drunk off his ass he's you know he goes into a coma on his on his mattress he's sound asleep and he wakes up and this is gonna sound really bad but this guy this ranger has got his underwear down his ankles, and he's giving him a blowjob while he's sleeping and he wakes up and just loses his shit, right? And so it turns out this ranger guy was actually a homosexual, and uh, and exactly. he went in there and and pulled this guy's to- drawers down while he was asleep and took advantage of him while he was drunk and he sucked his cock, and uh, well that just turned into a fucking shitstorm, right? So um, I mean, literally they they brought the MPs in, they got this guy out right away, um, and literally discharged him out of the military in seventy two hours. Well, that's, I mean, we never well, that's,
1: ra- that's rape, right? That's that is rape.
0: Pretty much, right? And so, well, back, this was, remember, this is 1982-83 timeframe, right? So they didn't have all the policies now, you know, don't tell, don't ask, all this crap, you know, sure. and, uh, you know, it was forbidden to be, you know, homosexual, et cetera, in the military. Well, all this happens, and I think nobody really knew how to deal with it, right? And so they got this guy out and literally discharged him in 72 hours. We never saw him again from that. From the minute that happened. And the first sergeant, everybody grabbed this guy by his freaking, you know, stack and swivel and, and took him out. Um But then that started, you know, that started, you know, the circus. So so then here's the weird thing that happened. I'm in school and they find my poncho liner with my initials. The guy apparently came into my room. Maybe he was looking for me. I don't know, but he grabbed my poncho liner and he and he went to the other guy's room to suck his car. and he left my parts liner in there, right? So we're like, "We're just Comstock do that." I'm like, "Man, I'm in, I'm in prenock, man. I got witnesses. You know, I didn't do none of that shit." And uh, I swear to God, man. And uh, so you know, we're trying to put it all together. together. Well, maybe Kim looking for you, Comstock, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm a sexy bitch. Hey, Goddamn, like, man, hey, don't I'm hate on me. Don't hate on me, man. You know, He's, you know. Uh, it was, yeah, it was crazy, right? So, um, so you know." But then it, it only got worse after that right so now what happened was that you know everybody knew what happened in the battalion and and i remember and so we're like oh my god you know and and uh, everybody's just trying to get their head around which is what just happened here you know and total disbelief well i remember then we had our first formation a company formation and uh a company attacks on right and you know you know, recon, right? Recon! And then everybody else, recon, oh, recon. <laughs> that shit started, recon. right? And that And that was followed by fucking company-sized fistfights, dude. <laughs> man, <laughs> we were out there. Do, do, do. Yeah, it was crazy, right? And this happened for like a month. It was like relentless, nonstop. I mean, they just azed us every day because of one guy, man. We caught so much shit for that, you know, as a platoon. There, you know, we're like, you know, oh, yeah, all right. And we we started going to blows, man. And it got so bad that finally the battalion commander, he took us across the street to a movie theater. Um, you know, there's several movie theaters on, uh, I think it was Ardena's Drive there on, on Fort Bragg. But basically... Got the whole battalion over to guy up there, and he's like, Look, he goes, here's the deal. He goes, um, Right now, you guys are combat effective. I couldn't take you, mo- you monkeys of combat, if I wanted to. I mean, you guys are beating each other up. You're calling each other, you know, recon and faggots and whatever else. He goes, um, You guys are duking it out. He goes, So he goes, I'm going to start writing Article 15s. Um, people are going to go to jail. If there's another fight, if there's any more harassment, any more hazing, you know, which this is this is the end of the line, right? So it took him to do that to shut this whole thing down. And uh, and so my point to that story is one guy literally just completely disrupted an entire battalion. I mean, made us to brought us to the point where we're literally beating the dog shit out of each other at every turn. Um, it was just insane, right? And so, it was like prison, man. Well, that's, like a, that's, prison an
1: that's an effective weapon, right? If you're the enemy, that's an effective weapon. One guy well, goes in and blows some other dude, and you've taken out a whole battalion? That's an effective weapon. Dude,
0: and that's exactly what happened, right? So, people, you know, everybody goes, hey, you know, fucking everybody should get have an opportunity. They don't get it, man. Um, they just don't get it. I've seen the same situation with women, okay? I've had women with me in the field. I've had to take them out in the field and do all this training and stuff. And, a man, it never works out because men are men and women are women. And eventually, nature takes over, man. It's just... That's just how it works, man. And I always hear women go, "Well, men need to keep their dick in their pants." I'm like, "No, women need to keep their pants closed." You know, it goes both ways, man. You know, it goes both ways. Anyways, that was my little thing in, in the 80 seconds. Just one of my little experiences. And uh, later on, when I go into my other book story, and I talk about you know my my experiences as a bodyguard in Los Angeles. Um, I bring this story up again. It's actually kind of funny how, what happens there. But, uh, um, so in the, I did get the opportunity in the LERPs to go, you know, my first combat deployment was Grenada. In fact, I was in Pinoch. Uh, so I was in Pinoch still when this happened, right? Actually at the time, it was Pinoch, we Recon- school together. Right. So on the, on the back end of, of the non-commissioned officers course, um, you had to go to Ricondo, which was two weeks long and uh, on the field. And, uh, i don't even think they have recondo anymore but basically it's like a mini ranger school and uh, you go out there and you do ranger recondo stuff and uh we're out there and we're finishing up and then one morning we're we're in a uh, stand out of the woods oh dark dirty fucking children and stuff because it was october and uh and for Bragg, and we noticed all these fighter jets flying around well we don't have fighter jets because Fort Bragg and Pope Air Force Base were together, but Pope Air Force uh, Base provided, um, you know, C-130, C-141s, transport aircraft for the paratroopers to jump out. of. They didn't have a fighter wing there, but also we're noticing fighters flying overhead, right? Doing circles. And, uh, and then we're hearing all this aircraft going on. It's like, what's going on, man? And then uh, during his formation, all of a sudden, the, the, you know, the first sergeant, he's uh, the ops sergeant, maybe whoever it was, I can't remember, it was calling out names. You go, okay, if you hear your name, call. Out. Um, I need you to grab your shit and report back to your unit, right? And they're going down the list and calling everybody else, everybody else going to the unit. And uh, and so finally, you know, we're starting to figure out that there's something going on, like real world. And so I ended up back in the, in the unit, and my platoon had already deployed. They were one of the first ones out, right? The eyes and ears for the unit. So they were the first one downrange already in Grenada. Um, that was going on, on October 3rd, 1983. And uh, so I show up, and I'm like, hey, where's everybody at? And I'm ready to go. And like, oh, they already left. So there's no room for you. You don't need to worry about going. I'm like, what? You know? And you know, I wanted to go, man. It's like, damn, freaking everybody went downrange. I want to go too. You know, I'll hang around here in the barracks and what mop floors. Um, and so they figured out a way to get me down there. Basically. Um, they put me on a C one forty one, and basically I had to escort a bunch of batteries for the other platoons, right? Their rims, you know, their sensor systems, all that shit required these freaking batteries, right? And they needed to get them, get their batteries down to them. Like that's I, perfect. I said I can ride batteries down there, so I did. And uh, and, so, <laughs> and so I fly down on the C one forty one. I'm the only guy on this damn thing, right? With all these batteries and shit, and uh, we landed in Grenada. And I remember now this is this is a combat zone we got cubans there we got pra there fighting it out with the rangers in 82nd you know and uh and so i come in there and the way it was set up salinas air uh, airfield was a runway basically an extended runway off the island and uh and so what would happen is the aircraft would learn. They would do uh, what they call eros engines running on stand. They wouldn't even shut the engines off. They would drop the ramps and shit. They freaking dump everything out. later raise the lamps and freaking you know take off again. Right? They don't want to be sitting on that runway yeah. and and be subjected to mortar taps and things like that. So the plane lands right, pulls up to the the attack, right, which is um you know the tactical operations center or you know basically it's it's a tent right, a small tent, and uh, that's where the uh, air traffic controller is. And uh, there's a first lieutenant out there and he's the airfield commander and uh, we're unloading all this shit right batteries and boxes and stuff and the plane takes off and I'm standing there and I okay nobody's waiting for me right I was told my guys would be waiting to pick me up and they're not here so I think well maybe they're late so I sit on a freaking box and I'm waiting it's getting dark it's already kind of dark it's you know last flight when the plane showed up and it's starting to get dark so I'm just sitting there waiting 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 you know you know where they at? And finally, his lieutenant comes up to me. He's like, "Hey, man." He goes, "Listen, um, I don't know where your unit's at." He goes, "And I really don't care." He goes, "But you can't stay here." Like, what do you mean? I can't stay here? You, got, you can't stay here. You gotta leave. You can't stay on the airfield. Uh, I'm, I'm the, uh, you know, I'm the DCO and uh, or the airfield, uh, you know, commanding officer, ACO. And I, like, whoa, I said, well, "Where the hell am I supposed to go?" Because I don't know. He goes, "Just, just cool cool <laughs> And so. <laughs> and, and I am like looking at him like, are you kidding me? I'm a spec four at the time, right? And uh no, I just, just turned to E5. No, I spec four going to E five. And uh I'm young, man. I'm a kid, man. Yeah. I'm pretty young. I'm still you know, and so how old are you at this point? Uh, um at this point, I am this is nineteen eighty three, so I was uh eighteen. I was uh twenty years old. Okay. Right, twenty years old. So, so I'm like, well. Okay, can I have some ammunition, you know? <laughs> so they give me a couple of magazines of ammunition and it's dark now. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, where the fuck am I going? I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea. I don't know where I'm at. So they just kick right? you the fuck. And, they just kick you off. Yeah, exactly. So I, I literally walk off into the dark. And I'm walking, just walking down the roads, you know, and I'm like listening. Maybe I hear an American voice, not then. Maybe I hear a Cuban voice, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Right? And so I'm walking and I'm walking and I'm walking. I'm walking for hours, man. And I walk all the way down to Georgetown, which is the capital. And I get right outside of Georgetown. And I'm thinking, ah, man, it's probably not a good idea going to Georgetown because I don't know, if we own it or they own it, right? And so uh, I'm sitting there thinking, well, goddamn, you know. What do I do? I'm by myself. I don't know where to go, you know? Do I lay down until the sun comes up and everybody sees me? You know, I'm like freaking out here. I don't know what to do. So I walk back the opposite direction. I'm walking down this road for hours, right? And, uh, and it's pitch black, pitch black, and I'm, you know, jungle, trees on the side of the road. And, uh, and I finally, um, as I walk along, I hear, oh, who goes there? And when I heard that, I go, fuck? I go Sean and it was my guy on my team Sean Pearson and I go Sean Dale <laughs> like in the middle of the darkness we're hugging each other like oh my God and I'm so happy you know and <laughs> I just happened to bump into him and he was pulling he was basically pulling security at the gate which was we were at the uh, um, the American ambassador's residence from the embassy. Um, he had a villa that was, you know, right off on the edge of this like cliff facing the ocean, really nice. And uh, but he wasn't there, right? We had, we were occupying it. We were sleeping all over the place, and uh, and he just happened to be at the gate pulling security at that time, guard, you know, duty. And uh, so I was so freaking happy, right? And I linked up with my platoon and team, and teams are, and platoons are, and uh, got oriented. I was like, oh, thank God, you know, I'm freaking ingrained, you know, and so um, I'm safe. But we did a couple of missions. I did a few missions there. Probably the best one was on, uh, I went to, um, we had a mission. So what we did people, I got a lot of heartburn right now, but, uh, our job was to go to like, uh, the different islands that were around Grenada and set up observation points, surveillance points. Right. Um, basically we would infiltrate, move a little bit by foot and then sit down and then, you know, cover up and just watch and listen and then report, you know, any movement of Cubans or PRA, which PRA is, uh, uh, people's, uh, no PRG, PRA, which was people's Republic army of Grenada or something like that, Prague. And, uh, and so we, that was our job report. Right. And so we went out one night, my team had a job of going out to an island called green, green Island. It wasn't very big. It was about 300 meters by hundred meters. Right. And it had a big peak in the middle of it and, um, like a pinnacle. And it was all jungle at the base. So we infiltrate, Um, we take off and go into the jungle area. We sit down and uh, you know, our job is to sit on the island and watch. Well, probably about a week earlier, we had another team out there and actually some PRA had taken a small boat and had come out to the island to recover a cache. And our guys, two of our guys ran out there, you know, ran ran out there, it was dark, went out there to to intercept it to see who was coming on board. And what happened was by the time our guys got out there, the 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 element that had landed the bad guys had already set up left and right security and our guys ran right into their left security and a point-blank range got freaking shot up right so um they had a contact Firefight ensued. Um basically um, the next day they found a couple of bodies floating in the ocean that belonged to the PRA guys that had been been shot from our guys, right? But we we took two casualties off of that. Um and so and we went back out there again to do the same thing, right? Knowing that they might come back out trying to recover weapons caches and things like that. So I think we spent maybe a I don't know, four or five days out there literally sitting on your ass. And if you don't know what's like sitting on palm fronds uh, for twenty-four-seven. Um, especially when you're sweating and, oh, you have a sunburn on your ass because you've been out skinny dipping on the beach at the embassy during your off time with the guys. Uh, that sucks, man. And so, and you can't move around. You can't stand up and walk around. you try to be, you know, you try to be, you know, clandestine. And, uh, I remember sitting there every night, man, freaking, you can, then you can hear the crabs coming, right? Freaking crabs everywhere, man. You can hear them, you know, crawling along the, the palm fronds and creaking and making noise in the leaves and shit. Um, so all night long, it's like sitting on pins and needles, like literally, you know, your ass is stinging, you hear little crabs and shit, you know, and then uh, you're waiting for the bad guys to show up again for, so you can have a fight. Um, I remember this one particular night, we're sitting there, and uh, this age 64 attack helicopter was flying around, and I guess he assumed nobody's on this island, and what he wanted to do is a gun run on this peak, right, this little pinnacle, Um, and, you know, and fire some rockets and as many guns and just, you know, whatever have some shits and giggles and not we realizing we're sitting there and so we're kind of watching him you know and he goes out and he goes out you know orbits out a little bit and he gets some altitude he turns around and then all of a sudden we hear him coming down we can hear the blades just walk wop, whop, 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 so we know he's coming in fast and hard and it occurred to us what he's getting ready to do like oh shit he's Either he identified us as bad guys or we figured he's just gonna you know let loose on the island for whatever reason so we just get up and start running right and we run right to the edge of the cliff and we're like we got nowhere to go and uh, we just start throwing strobe lights and you know flares and shit everywhere you know and uh and he does open up but not onto us and he and then he vectors off you know after he realized oh shit there's people on this freaking island um so you know we, that was that was a, that was one of those you know no shit moments for us here for a minute, but um, it was an interesting experience. You know, it was my first deployment ever. You know, you want to call it a combat deployment, and uh, you know we did a lot of other uh, lot other missions out there. Um, you know, doing different things, but uh, it was it was cool. But it was not you know it wasn't like uh, you know the movie platoon where every day you're out there and it's like you know firefighting and it's game on. Um, by that time, you know. the the, the PRA, the Cubans, didn't put up much of a fight after that. And they were pretty much squashed immediately. Um, so that was my experience there um, in the 82nd, the 82nd warps. You know, all said and done, you know, it was a good experience. Um, you know, it was a little bit better just being an infantryman. Um, we were a little bit more elite, a little bit more coddled, if you will. We got a little bit cooler, high, cooler gear, better high speed uh, communications equipment, stuff like that. We needed that. Um, so we got, you know, some other good stuff, but uh, um, it made it worth it, right? <clears throat> but it still wasn't, a, really, it still wasn't enough for me. Um, one other thing I wanted to point out, and I think I was telling a friend of mine this recently <clears throat> about being in my experience in 82nd. And again, to put this in perspective for anybody that's out there listening, it's never been in the military. I want you to, con- I want you to fathom this. So by the t- time I was 21 years old, I had gone through the jump master uh, master school, right? Become what we call a master blaster, jump master. Um, I had enough jumps under my belt as a novice jumper to go to school and now earn my my master parachute badge and now be the guy that actually puts people out of the aircraft. So what does that mean? So at the age of 21 as a master jump master, which was not uncommon. In fact, there were a lot of guys my age. That were master jump masters, right? That were doing this, um, but at my age, at twenty one, my job, my responsibility was to one coordinate with the Air Force and coordinate the the, the airborne operations, the jump that we're going to do. I had to know where, you know, the uh, the uh, IPs were. Um, I had not know where the point of impact was on the drop zone. I had to calculate all this crap for altitude, all the stuff that that would be needed to effectively put my jumpers out of the airplane and make sure they land, you know, on this drop zone. And uh, so my that was my job is to coordinate with them to set that part up. And then my job was to train, uh, not train, but to basically um, pre-train, I guess, or ref- give refresher training to the entire I mean, usually it was a battalion, right? I would I would do a battalion sized jump. So think about that for a minute: three to four companies, you know, three to four hundred paratroopers, you know, ranging from the old man, the full bird colonel, all the way down to first sergeant, sergeants majors, and everybody else in the, in the battalion. And my job was to put them in through a pre jump training where I would take them out and we would actually go through i would have to uh, refresh them on you know jumping procedures you know uh, you know basically, what do you do if you have a malfunction you know you do this you do that you do that right it's, it's very sequential and it's it's all, it's completely scripted right so you have to memorize this stuff um, and, and you and you don't, and you know can't miss a beat man so it's very you know very scripted and and then you actually put them through their jumps right They're, their, uh, their static jumps like a, from a platform that's about five feet up, you make them jump off into a sand pit, you know, and practice their rolls and stuff like that. And then once all that's done, then your job is to get everybody down to Pope Air Force Base um, and then get them in the in the in uh, in either the hangars or the, or the parachute shed and then get them shoot it up, right? They all have to put their chutes on and then they would follow these long lines. And then me and my assistant jump masters our job was inspect every jumper, his, all of his equipment, everything. If he was jumping with a rucksack, firearms, or an uh, M16, everything had to be inspected and everything was sequential, right? Everything, man. I mean, it's freaking you got to be on it, man. And, uh, and Jump Master is very hard to get through because they, look, they want to make sure that you pay attention to detail and it's time. So they put a lot of stress on you, right? and it's very easy to fail out of jump master school. So if you make it through jump master school, especially in the 82nd, you're doing pretty damn good, right? And so you got to inspect every jumper, man, because ultimately it's your responsibility. If that guy goes on that bird and he's got a shoot or a harness, a parachute, a static line or anything that's um, is has got a flaw to it, something's wrong with it and you don't catch it, you're the guy on the blame line. You're going to get your ass reamed, man. Um, and it's not a good thing, right? So you, you're responsible for everything. Then you get everybody on the aircraft, okay? They're all seated. Everything's, you know, everything's organized. And then the aircraft finally takes off. And then as a jump master, at some point, you know, <clears throat> um, you start giving a you 20-minute know, warning. You hear the pilot say, you got 20 minutes. You tell the jumpers 20 minutes, 10 minutes right and it's a countdown six minutes so you know all your jumpers stand up hook up check study line check equipment right so you go through all these sequences right you're and you you're the guy running this shit inside of an airplane right you're wobbling around standing up with you know and getting air sick and uh and then the jump master or the the load master air force load master looks at you and says jump master or he says basically he's an army you have the door right which means i'm now completely in charge the door opens up um, I put the ramp out, and my job is to go out and start spotting for the drop zone, looking for the IPs, um, the, the PIP, everything, right? And, uh, and then, I, you know, basically the countdown begins. Okay, you know, we're like three minutes out. Now we're one minute out. We're 30 seconds out. Jumpers or stand in the door and go, right? And then put everybody out of the aircraft, not just my aircraft, but, uh, you know, there might be five or ten aircraft flying at the same time. This formation, And they're all dumping paratroopers, right? Um, and so, and then when they're all out, I'm the last guy that jumps out, I clear the airplane, I look at the, air, you know, the load masters, the Air Force, you know, you got it. Door's yours now. And I'm out the bay. And then my job is done at that point. Once I leave that airplane, it's all over. But imagine that. I'm doing that at the age of 21.
1: Jesus That's
0: Christ. what... That's what guys in 82nd do. 21-year-olds, 20-year-olds doing the 82nd as jump masters. And it's very common. Um, Can you imagine your average 20, 21-year-old in college doing some shit like that? Hell no. No. Right? They just, I mean, it's so the amount of responsibility is just enormous, man. Anything goes wrong, it's on you, man. Nobody's, nobody's there to, hey, let me take care of this for you. Let me handle that for you. It's like jump master, what are you gonna do? You're in charge, right? And you're an NCO, too. You're really in charge, man. So, um, so you know, that's the that's the thing about the military, man. I mean, it will challenge you to, you know, to levels you can't even imagine. Yeah. And so I really recommend a military to anybody, man. You know, if you want to grow up and you want to really learn some responsibility, like real responsibility, because in effect, I'm responsible for the lives of three, four, 500 men and women, Right. That's my job. This could be a night parachute jump, low altitude. You know, there's so many factors that go into this stuff. But uh, you know, but I did it. We all did it like it was just—it was no big deal. It's you know our daily duties. Huh? Yeah. You jump master, oh, okay. All right. We I mean, I mean, the warning order, okay. The operator got this, okay. It's it's amazing, right? And then when I look back at it now, I'm like, damn, man, at 20, 21 years old, I'm doing that that level of that level of responsibility. And that's just you know that's unheard of, man. But that's the life, you know, being in the army um, or in the military. You know, it's not just the army. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So I covered that, and what I want to talk about now is, um, so we last time we talked about getting through selection, right? And I give you the numbers on that, and you know, it, it's not, it wasn't easy. Um, and one of the things I want to say about selection is. And I don't know if I mentioned a lot in the last uh, episode, but um, Delta Force selection is the most unique selection course in the world, bar none. Um, you know, when I hear people talk about you know Seal blood training, Seal selection, and Ranger School, and you know SFs, you know whatever, uh, all those schools, when you go when you go through this process, you go through as groups, right? Um, and I'll, I'll use the I'm going to use the seals. Because everybody's seen the movies with all the seals on the beach, you know, kicking up, doing flutter kicks, and you know they're sprinkled in sand like you know sugar cookies, and you know, and, <laughs> and it's you know, and it's hard, you know, and they're cold and, and all this stuff, right? But they're out there as a group, right? And when you work as a group, whether you're working together or not, but when you're in a group, what do you do? You get motivation, you get energy, you get, um, you get a lot of you know empowerment from the others right that that group absolution um and so you could be rel- you could be kind of weak and still get under the radar because everybody else is kind of covering your ass as you're going through it right um and so the difference between for example them and some of these other schools is in delta 4 selection it's an individual effort you go through it on your own and the whole thing the stress that you go under is the stress that you put on yourself? Nobody's yelling at you. Nobody's you know throwing sand on you, making do a flutter kick and swim around the water till you freeze your nuts off. They're not doing that, right? It actually is quite the opposite. It's a gentleman's course, and, it's, and the and the instructors are very stoic. You know, they they don't even call you by your name. They assign you you know colors and numbers. Um, it's like you you have no you no face, no personality. You're 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 just a you know. Uh, Carbon-based bipedal, you know, freaking, you know, yeah, uh, you know, piece of meat. And so, uh, and then the instructions are very concise. They're not very detailed. They tell you, they basically tell you what the task is. Um, and then you, when you sit there, you go, "Well, how much time do I have?" or whatever, whatever that. It's like do the best you can. And they just keep repeating the task. They never, they never give you the details. They want you to figure it out. And they want you to do the best you can. What does that mean? That means we're not going to tell you what the standard is. You just do the best you can. And if, you know, and if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. You don't make it, you know, but if you do the best you can, maybe it's good enough, maybe it's not. So think about the stress that, that imposes, right? If you do it day in and day out, you're like, you know, day and night, all temperatures, all conditions, you're getting smoked, man. I mean, smoked. I mean, you're physically just deteriorating every day it's getting worse and worse and worse and uh and you're just getting this very succinct straight fuck instructions right from a guy with a straight face who never smiles or gets angry um he's not yelling at you he's not encouraging he's like a robot and you're like fuck, do the best you can what is that you know yeah. and so you do some of, you think you do you do the best you can and what happens, if you really do the best you can, you beat your own ass, right? You're beating yourself down because you don't know what's the minimum time, what's yeah. the minimum standard. How how much further do I got to go? Am I going fast enough? Am I, am I going far enough, you know? You don't know. The only way you'll know is go the best, do the do, fastest. Do the, as far go, yeah.
1: Do the best yeah, you can. And
0: you either arrive or you don't, right? And that fucks people's heads up. Um, and so, um, and I'd be lying if I said it didn't screw my head up. Um, I can remember on the last day, second last day, standing in a field of mud up to my knees, and it's foggy, it's raining, um, I can't see more than 100 meters, I don't even have a real map, I've got a sketch map that I drew out, I have no, no idea where the hell I'm at, right, and uh, and I don't even know how far I've got to go to get to the next objective, you know, and I don't even know if it's going to end there, you know, I i don't have no idea how much more this madness is going to go on, but... Uh, I'm standing there, and my legs felt like each one had 100 pounds attached to it with mud, right up to its knees, and I couldn't move. I was so freaking tired, and I just, I just started sobbing, man. Just, uh, uh, you know. And I remember telling myself, if a, car, if a truck shows up right now, I'm quitting. I'm just, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done, right? <laughs> but no truck showed up, and then I realized nobody's gonna come and get me out in this field right because it's raining there's fog and can't see me and i thought the only way i'm gonna get out of this is i'm gonna have to self-recover myself right i'm going to get out of this myself and the only way i'm gonna be able to quit is if i find the next rv which i'll oh, have by the way is on top of a mountain because that's what my sketch map said so i got to go up a damn mountain to get to the top and uh and then when i get there i can you know i can tell the story. sorry i walked there with because i'm a sissy and uh and so i finally get out and, I, and i'm you know I'm looking forward to getting to the top so I can quit and uh, because I'm just done. And I get to the top and then reason set in, right? It's like, hmm, I made it this far. I made it up to the top. Why would I quit now? Because it's downhill, you know? And so I, I rationalized it and I thought about it. I was like, no, don't quit, man. Don't quit. You're on the top right now. You're going down, right? You can go down the hill if you have to, but don't quit. So I talked to myself out. got my next RV and then went down the hill and continued to move on. Um, and so... I look at that day, and I'm like, I literally was mentally, psychologically, physically at zero, man. I was wiped out, man. I had, I thought I had nothing left in the gas tank. And I reached really, 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 really deep just to get those feet moving again up the that, side of that, uh, that mountain um, to that next RV. So um, it taught me a lot that day. But to give you an idea, think about that every day. For days weeks on end right and you don't know where's the finish line how far you got to go how fast you got to go what else they're going to throw at you nobody's talking to you nobody's smiling at you nobody's yelling at you you know at least if they're yelling at you that means they still think you have potential but they're not even yelling at you man so it's like shit man you know it's like I'm, I'm liking some kind of weird freaking science fiction movie mm-hmm. right and so um <laughs> so anyways got through all that and i was fortunate because when it was all over um, I think I mentioned last time, there were 110 candidates that started, um, six finished, and three of us were selected. So think about that. And that happens twice a year, right? And sometimes one guy, maybe two guys get selected maybe, right? It's, the numbers are really, really small from the entire military. Uh, actually, at the time, it was the entire army. Now it's the entire military. So the numbers are really, really small. So they're looking for that one guy or those two or three guys that have something that they don't tell you what that trade is. We have no idea what they're looking for, right? Um, You know, I was told by some some people that they're not looking for the best guy, they're looking for the right guy. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know, what's the right guy? And nobody knows, right? It's one of the best kept secrets in the military. In fact, the whole selection course standard is the best kept secret in the military, uh, not compromised. Nobody knows what's the standard of performance, um, nor do they know what they're looking for in an operator. Um, so I make it through OTC. Uh, I go through OTC, it's it's over six months. Um, I won't go into all the details what happens there, just so I mind uh, security, but the uh, operation security. But suffice it to say this, OTC is still the selection process. Just because you show up and you're going through training doesn't mean you're in. Um, in fact, that was the first thing that was told to us from a guy we called him Mad Max. A um, little short Vietnam Special Forces work guy. Uh, he was short, too. He was a little dude, man. Um, big, bushy, red mustache, you know, and just a gnarly, mean little guy, man. But uh, and I say he was mean. He just he was hard, but he was fair and. Really, all I cared about was making sure that uh, we were trained and that we could survive in, in the future, right? So he cared about us. But uh, that didn't mean he coddled us, right? And uh, it was tough love, and I appreciate that. And so um, the first thing he said to us, he goes, all right, gentlemen, we all had these badges, right? Issues badges to get through the gates and, and the front. It's high security. He goes, look at your badges. You know what those badges mean? it doesn't mean shit it just means you can walk in and out of the front gate without getting harassed it doesn't mean anything else doesn't mean you're you're in you don't have any kind of special privileges you're here for training and and, uh like damn right and so training went you know went on and selection goes on and so a lot of guys don't make the otc program because again the stress is piled on top of you with some of the training that we had to do um it's the most realistic training you'll ever can imagine right um everything's like bullets um it's, it's no joke man and people get shot all the time in otc or blown up or both you know things happen because the training the training was, is always so realistic um and it's not because we're careless you know um or anything like that it's just when you train for real real things happen right And so and then not only that that freaks people out and they're like they can't cope they can't they can't assimilate fast enough and make decisions fast enough uh at least fast enough to where they can safely complete the course or sa- safely complete the task and in the instructor's minds and even in the peer group's mind they're not safe enough to do an, a real operation downrange it's probably not a guy we want with us right he just cannot you know uh adjust fast enough and so that guy will find himself you know doing the duffel bag drag out the front gate and there's a lot of things they'll get you get you can um so it's no cakewalk whatsoever. So I wanted to go into my story, what happened to me. And, uh, you know, at, in, the, in the previous episodes, we talked about autogenic conditioning and what happened to me playing baseball, what a lesson I learned playing baseball. And uh, it was a life, lesson, a life lesson that I never forgot. And literally, I went from being the worst baseball player on the planet Earth to the best catcher overnight. And the whole league, right? Winning the MVP and on and on. Literally overnight, I went from zero to hero overnight, and and I stayed at the hero status after that because it's something I had figured out on my own about learning about RJ conditioning, visualization, some other things, and uh, it saved it saved the day for me, right? So um, I never forgot that lesson learned. I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know I had a name. Um, I just know it happened to me. So, so now I'm in OTC, right? So without getting into all the you know gritty details and uh, breaking OPSEC or anything like that, what happened was there's a huge emphasis on firearms training. Uh, huge emphasis. Why not? Because Delta Force operators are considered some of the top combat uh, marksmanship marksmen in the world, right? You have to be a surgical shooter, especially during that era. Uh, we were really focused on aircraft hijackings and being able to go take down an aircraft, get inside, and shoot terrorists in the face, right, throughout the tubular target with yeah. freaking hostages hopping around and heads bobbing and taking 10% shots and taking dudes out, you know, at 10, 15, 20 feet or longer, right, um, in tight, very tight quarters. Not only that, you got to get in the aircraft to start with, just to get in there and mix it up with these guys, right? So you had to be a good shot. Um, you didn't get a second chance, man. You damn sure couldn't afford to miss and hit a passenger, right? That would have been that would have been a bad thing. So there was a lot of emphasis put on marksmanship, and uh, and a lot of the marksmanship skills that you see today in all the services, okay, have their genesis in Delta, um, hands down. But like, oh, what about the seals? No, actually the seals, um, especially the the black seals, started out under us. Um, gave them the nudge to move forward and help them along. And I won't go into any more than that. But uh, um, so the initially what we did was we spent the first month just shooting 45s. And literally 45s. The, the theory was if you can learn how to shoot a 45, just iron sights, finger press, you know, front side picture, front side alignment, you know, all those things, um, then you should be able to pick up any weapon and, uh, and shoot it proficiently, right? That was that's the logic. And it makes good sense, right? Uh, Because it seeks your fundamentals. And what better gun to learn on like a 45 it It's got a lot of recoil. You know, it's a man's gun. It's got a lot of controls on it um, that you have to manipulate. So the first two weeks was nothing but dry fire, literally just dry fire. We would come in at 8 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock at night, 7 o'clock at night, minus a lunch and dinner break. And all we would do is stand inside of a bay, with little square pasties on the wall, about one inch by one inch, and we would sit there and and full full draws from the holster, um, you know, malfunction drills, um, you know, all kinds of remedial drills, uh, reload drills. I can go on and on, right? There's a lot of there's a lot that goes into combat marksmanship that people don't really realize, right? Including the four stroke draw. Um, when do you you know take the selector switch off? When do you put your finger on the trigger? When do you take the slack out? where do you pick up the front side where do you pick up the rear side where do you align the sights? you know breathing I, I mean it's it's martial arts in its deadliest form literally and uh, and i tell you what there was no room for you know inconsistencies or errors um, you know there's a lot of emphasis put on form form had to be perfect um, every 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 shot everything draw out of the holster so everything you did the form had to be perfect right form facilitates function good form facilitates good function right if you have sloppy form you're gonna have sloppy function man and uh and that's why you practice karate uh you know, like in karate use you, you, um you know kata's and forms it's to build that muscle memory and to learn how to you know to create do the right dynamics in the right form so that when you you are you know you are in a fight you know, that muscle memory sets in and, you know, you do what you were trained to do. Mm-hmm. So, we're up there, you know, we're doing the dry firing every day and this, look, you know, I mean, you got this guy called Mad Max screaming in your fucking ear all day, right? He looks like Yosemite Sam. And he's putting a boot on your ass all day long. There's other instructors there. They're up and down. They're, they're trooping the lines and you're like, goddamn, you know, but, you know, hoping to God you're doing it perfect because you don't want to get yelled at in front of everybody. So, there's a lot of pressure, man, on you, right? Um, it was not a gentleman's course either. It was like, Hey, good job there, Dale. I right, keep doing that. You look good, man. It was like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, <laughs> and they were just mauling you, like. You know? <laughs> but it was like that for a reason, right? Yeah. And uh, you got to learn how to perform under stress, man. And uh, and so, anyways, what happened was, and then every day when we got done, um, we would go into the classroom. And the, the, the instructors were always out there with a camera, right? A video camera. They were always filming and stuff, you know. The one I, they call it the one I judge, the one I judge, don't lie. So then we go into the classroom and they would critique us, you know, by the day's training, you know, well, today this, blah, blah, blah. You know, some of you guys need to work on this. Hey, you over there, you need to really work on that. And you know, I didn't do that. No, you didn't do that. Look at the one I camera, don't lie, right? When I judge online, they show the video of you all fucked up. You're like, okay, I guess I did fuck that up. Um, so, You know, that happened every day. Um, And I never really got critiqued, ever. You know, Nobody ever said anything to me, so I felt like I'm doing pretty good. Um, And it's, you know, I don't know how much time went by. A week went by, 10 days went by. And uh, one day, something happened that never happened before. And we're all sitting in the classroom, you know, waiting for our, you know, we call it hot wash, you know, uh, after action review, critique of the day, before we get cut loose and go home. And uh, first thing Max does is says, Tom stand up. I'm like, whoa, that's never happened before. He's never told anybody to stand up, <laughs> especially me. And I like, okay, and I stand up, you know, and I'm not sure why I'm standing up, what's gonna happen here, but he told me to stand up. And so then he just he just takes off and just starts chewing my ass. Basically, he says things like, you know. You're the most worst, the worst student in the classroom. You're all fucked up. If you don't get your shit in one bag, you'll be doing a duffel bag drag out the front gate in a couple of days. What do you think this is? Like some kind of daycare joke? Bah, 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 bah. And I'm like, and then he's just dressing me down in front of everybody, and everybody's looking at me like, ooh shit, you know? And I'm like, yeah. ooh shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> my, my shoulders are going down, my head's going down. I go, damn, is this really happening? It was bad, right? I mean, he's really laying into me hard in front of everybody, and uh, to the point where I was almost getting mad. Just like. Why is he talking to me like this in front of everybody? Is that, is, that's not cool, man. Um, if I'm fucked up, tell me I'm fucked up out there, you know, when we're training. But don't wait till the end of the day to freaking chew my ass out in front of everybody. So there was something wrong with this picture, man. And I didn't understand it. But it scared me. And uh, <clears throat> it scared me bad. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm right on the precipice of getting booted out of this out of OTC. All the hard work, all the everything I put into this thing for the last year to get here is about to vanish because for some reason, I'm not keeping up with the class, even though I thought I, I was doing well. <clears throat> so that shook me up, I go home, and I remember my wife at the time, one of my ex, 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 ex-wives, ex <laughs> so she's you know she's cooking dinner, and uh, I walk in, and I'm pretty beleaguered at this point. I said, honey, I'm cooking dinner, are you ready to eat? And I'm like, no. I so said, I'm going straight to bed. And she's like, what? I'm going to bed. I got to train, And she looked at me like, what are you about? I said, don't ask. Me. And she knew. She knew, leave him alone. Don't say shit. Just let him go. And she did. And I went to bed. I literally went to bed because I remembered what I did when I was playing baseball, mm-hmm. right? What happened to me there. That whole thing, I thought about it. I said, if I could do that then, maybe I can do that again now, Yeah. right? Um, so I went to bed and I did exactly what I did before, right? I put the music in my ears, I got relaxed. At this point, I took my shower and I was just relaxed. And I laid in my bed there for hours and for hours and hours and hours with my eyes closed. I visualized, you know, drawing that weapon. I could feel that gun in my hand. I could feel all of it in my hand the stippling, in it. Um, the weight of the gun, the light coat of oil on it. I could feel the trigger press. Um, and I had two of them. I had 245. They were set up just a little bit differently, right? The sights were just a little bit different. Um, everything was just a little bit different, right? And uh, But I can still feel both those guns today like, like I just picked them up. I can still feel those guns. They became a part of my body, man. I can still feel the weight and everything of those guns to this day. Um, that's how many times I pulled, picked that gun up and, and fired it. So I remember, you know, feeling the gun. I could, I remember visualizing, you know, bring the weapon up from three to four, picking the front sight line the rear side front side rear side alignment weapons going out taking slack out of the trigger trigger stop boom take that shot follow through recover three and then back to you know back to the holster you know malfunction drills uh, combat reloads tactical reloads um you know all this was going through my mind over and over i did all these mental rehearsals like it was really happening and when i was doing it i felt the gun the whole time in my hands um the weight of the magazines, everything, man. Pull the slide back, you know. I felt the, you know, the, the the pressure on the springs. I did that over and over and over, and then I saw that, I saw that bullet coming out of that gun and going into the X every time, right? That was all part of the technique. All night long, I did that over and over and over and over, and uh, and I just fell asleep. So the next day, I go to school, OTC. And uh it was training begins like as usual, you know, 0800 out in the in the Bay Area, you know, freaking drawing and you know, dad and I doing this training. And uh day one, nothing happens. Nobody's yelling at me, nobody's praising me. Crickets. Day two goes by, nothing's happening, nobody's yelling at me, nobody's praising me, more crickets. <laughs> and day 3 goes by nothing's happening nobody's yelling at me nobody's praising me and i'm thinking christ Jiminy, either say something like ataboy or at least yell at me and make me believe i still have potential but this the silence was killing me right and uh and i'm like you know thinking that this is it man you know i'm freaking i'm probably it's over man they've they've given up on me that's why they're not talking to me right <laughs> and so after the end of day 3 we go back into the classroom and we're going to do Another hot wash, and uh, this is the second time this happens. Comstock, stand up right off the bat. Comstock, stand up, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, I mean, oh, my heart was heavy. You know, I couldn't even get the strength to get my ass out of that fucking chair, and uh, I remember thinking, damn, is this my swan song? Is this it? And and I stood up. And shoulders down, head was low. I didn't even look at the guy. I couldn't even look at him, man. I couldn't look at my peers. They're all looking at me like, I know what they're thinking. I'm like, oh, poor guy, you know? And, uh, you know, <laughs> it was just a bad, just a bad, I just had a really bad feeling. Like, this is it, you know? He's going to gonna shoot to my ass again and then basically tell me get my shit and get the hell out of here, right? And, uh, and I felt so, oh, my God, man. I had so much weight on my shoulder. So I stood there, and then the next words out of his mouth were, everybody take a look at that man. Everybody take a look at him. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, that's right, go ahead and look at me. Go ahead and look at the loser, you know. You know, I'm like, now I'm getting mad, right, like rebellious. Like, so what, you know? That's yeah. what I wanted to say, even though I'm just kind of standing with my head down, that's what I'm thinking, you know, like, you know go ahead rub it in, you know, assholes. And uh, I want everybody to take a good look at this man. He goes, I predict this man will be the top gun shooter. Um, You know, he goes, this man is the most fundamentally sound student in the class, and I predict he'll be the top gun gun shooter at the end of the course. He goes, you guys need to look at this guy. This guy is the best of the best, right? And he's just, I mean, like, praising the shit out of me. Like, total 180. And I'm like, my head's coming up, I'm like, what? You're talking about me? And, uh, and he actually, that's what he said. He, he said, I was the most fundamentally sound student in the class, and his prediction was I would be the top gun shooter at the end when we had the competition, because at the end you have a top gun shootout um, to see who's the best shooter in the class, right? And uh, and so suddenly, man, my confidence was renewed. And uh, like, wow, what was really amazing is how I flipped this whole script in a matter of three days, maybe in one day, I don't know, I might have been on the ball the day after, but it took three days for him to get up and, and, and you know sing me praises. Probably because it took him three days to watch me and go, what the fuck? Is this guy really improving? <laughs> he probably couldn't believe it either, right? He's like, let me watch him for another day to make get sure. Let me, just watch or let me watch him one more day because I can't believe this, right? And so... Um, but yeah, so that's what happened. And then in the end, so sure enough, right, we at the end of the course of the, the firearms portion, we had our shootouts, right? So we did it with MP5s and then uh, the big one was the 45s and it was double elimination. But basically, to make a long story short. Um, it came down to me and one of the guys. Some of you guys may have heard of this guy named Paul Howe. Uh, he was in my OTC class. And Paul was a great shot. I can't take nothing from the guy. He was a really good shot, consistent. And, uh, he didn't catch no shit, no TC like I did. Nobody invested with him, but it came down to me and him, and he actually beat me. But he only beat me not because he was better than me. He beat me because of of a of something that happened. What happened was we had both of us had a bank of targets arrayed in front of us, right? What we called popping uh, pepper poppers, falling you know silhouettes, steel plates, uh, bowling pins, and then you had in the center between the two. Um, you know the two banks. You in the middle. We had what it's called a dueling tree. It's one tree. It's just basically a, a metal rod, mm-hmm. and it's got two flags on each side. And then once you shoot all, your knock all your targets down. You have to knock all your targets down first before you go to the dueling tree. Once you go to the dueling tree, your job was to shoot your two flags and make a swing around to the other guy's side, and then that would declare the winner. And uh, but you could not move on from your target until it fell over, right? So I'm I'm, I'm way ahead of them. I'm at least one to two bullets ahead of them on the shots, right? I get to my last silhouette, my last pepper popper, I shoot his center mass, and it starts to fall over and it just teeters. It looks like it's not gonna go down. And I'm already, I know it's a clean shot, and I'm already on the dueling tree. And as I'm getting ready to shoot the dueling tree, I notice that pepper popper hasn't fallen. I'm like, shit. And so I go back to get it, and just as I go back to get it, it falls over. So now I gotta come back onto the, the tree and Paul's on it. He's already on the first flag he knocks one over mine, I knock one over his, and, and yeah. he beat me by one flag. So, you know, if you want to get technical, I beat him. But <laughs> but because of the rules, that one damn pepper popper, you know, I, I took, you know, a second place. And I actually didn't mind, I'm like, <laughs> you know what? Yeah. At least I'm here second place and I'm not doing the duffel bag drag out yeah. the front gate, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even care, right? I didn't even complain, about it. like, you know, that's how it goes. And, uh, but I'm here and I proved myself and everybody knows you know, I was yeah, a man.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, but that only happened because of this autogenic condition, right? That I've talked about several times now, and what happened to me and playing baseball, and suddenly I did, I did it again, right? And I did it under one of the most stressful situations you can imagine, right? This was my life was in it hanging the balance on the say. I'm like, I cannot afford not to be here. I don't want to go to an infantry unit on Fort Polk, Louisiana. Um, this would be so disruptive. Not only that, but for my morale, man, my psyche. Yeah. You know, I would feel defeated and it just, no way, man, this would not be a good thing for me, you know? And so, but now, you know, it worked. And I made it all the way through. And uh, I remember towards the end of the course, you know, we had another board that we had to sit in front of, right? Another commander's sergeant's major board. And uh, they wanted to make sure that we were the right guy before he sent us over the hall. And, uh, you know, I got the blessing. Okay, you're good enough, Comstock, even though you're the youngest guy we ever selected at 23, you're good enough. I go across the hall and I report to my Sergeant Major, and I'll forget my Sergeant Major, Jack, right? He's like, congratulations, man. Okay, well, welcome to the squadron, you know, blah, 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 He goes, but I have to remind you, he goes, selection's a continuous process. And if you're not giving us 110% every day, we can't use you, you're out of here, right? I'm like, damn, man, so, huh. and it's true, man. If you're not putting out, you're just, you know, you're useless, man. So so selection really is a continuous process, man. Um, There's no time. There's no, you know, there's no room for a guy to start sliding backwards, you know, and and, uh, it's just not – they don't need that, and they don't need you. They need every guy to be running 110% every day, right? And so – and the work, you know, the job, being in that that unit – was probably one of the most motivating jobs ever. I, I look forward to going to work every morning. Man, I can't wait for today. What's, what are we going to do today? It's going to be cool stuff, you know? And then coming home at night, it's like, man, it was like a great day. It was satisfying, you know? You felt like you got something done, you know? Not just for yourself, but for America, for the Army, you know? It's like, you know, I put it out there today, man, again, you know? And again and again and again. A very satisfying uh, experience. And, uh, you know, so that was, you know, a little bit about my time in the unit, um, getting there to the unit, and then how did I get there? It was not a, uh, wasn't a cakewalk, as you can, it is, you know, you can tell from what, the story I was telling you. Um, it was actually harder for a lot of other guys, even in OTC, it was like a nightmare for them, mm-hmm. um, and, um, you know, but uh, it is what it is, you know, they, they don't always pick the best guy, they pick the right guy, you know, because being best is relative yeah. um so um they know what the right guy is though right and so um so that's you know that's my story man um this time and uh you know in the in the book it's called top gun that chapter is top gun talks about a little bit about that and then uh, you know i talked a little bit about the selection process and then uh next time i'm going to talk about going through special force qualification course to be a green beret So I went through that school while I was in Delta to also become a green beret, a light and heavy weapons expert. So that's got some funny shit in it. Some things that happened to me Um, again, my life, (laughs) I don't know why, but my life can't ever be easy, right? I can't just do something normal like everybody else. Um, So I'll give you a little, little, uh, uh, synopsis of what happened before, right? A little trailer. So I go through the Q course and I'm going through a divorce, don't even know I'm going through a divorce yet because as I'm going through the Q course, my wife's, my ex ex wife is having an affair, and uh, and then I find out, you know, as I start the course, I'm a, you know, I'm a few weeks into it, and uh, that just turned into uh, that just turned into a circus. And then you know, she left me, took my daughter, left me with my my son who was only eighteen months old, and so now I'm trying to take care of an eighteen year old or eighteen month old boy find a babysitter at 4.30 in the morning, get through the Q course, which was, you know, so long. those are long-ass days. Pick him up in the evening, you know, be daddy to him, take care of him, you know, and prepare myself for the next day. So the Q course was like, really hard for me. Um, and uh, I made it. Here I am. And so, and now my son's a Green Beret. He's a ranger, um, you know, followed my footsteps. So I, hopefully uh, he's learned something from me growing up. And uh, anyway, so there's my stories, man. Uh, for today, <laughs> for today, yeah. I was
1: gonna say same time next week. Uh, Dale, do you think you uh, you think you can get a how to do the podcast?
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know how to get a hold of him. Uh, I could try. Yeah, um, just try. He's up probably on Facebook. I'm sure he is on social media somewhere. He's in Texas. The last I heard. Um, I'll see if I can't run him down. You know, I'll, I'll see if I can't find him. Let me just write that note, guys. That's two guys I'm still running down. <laughs>
1: yeah, please do. That, that would be fucking awesome. Because there are a lot of people that I found I can get in touch with, but they just don't give a fuck. And it's when I can, like, name drop someone or I have someone else yeah. reach out on my behalf, then all of a sudden yeah. it opens the door. So to me, it's just like, who the fuck is this kid? But if it's Comstock yeah. saying, like, hey, man, it, it works out a lot better. Yeah, no rush.
0: That I'll see if I can will see if I can run him down. Uh, no sure. He's got a good story too, man. Yeah, sure. um, you know, from Mug Yeah, yeah. Um, That's
1: where I recognize the name. You know.
0: Yeah. So Paul's a good dude. He's always been a good dude. So, <clears throat> anyways, um, yeah. So that kind of that kind of wraps it up. I think. Um, calling in from Bali, and uh, same time, same place next week. But, uh, yeah. We'll do this again, and uh, you know, uh, got a lot more to cover. You know, it only gets. Uh, I think it only gets better as it, does. it goes along here. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, for everybody listening,
1: uh, all of this is in his book, American Badass, which will be in the description. Sticking to the top comment, it's on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle. It's not on Audible yet, Dale. You need to get on that. You need to have someone narrate it. It's. I, I
0: don't know how to do that, man. I, I don't want to narrate it because I, I just. I can't read, man. I can kind of like write, but I can't really read. <laughs> 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 kind of weird, I, right? I wrote the I, book, but I can't read it. <laughs> I can, uh, I can,
1: I can put you in touch with a an actual professional Audible narrator.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I had know, had a guy yeah, on the podcast.
1: Yeah, he does. I had a his name's a Noah Levine. He does. He's okay. read like eight hundred books for Audible.
0: Like, oh, yeah, like, we'll legitimate
1: professional voice actor
0: okay yeah let him yeah i'd be happy to talk to him man Fuck um yeah, man. because i right before this call i actually had somebody message me and go hey is this book in audi- uh, audible because they like to you know listen yeah. while they're working so i've gotten that quite a bit um but yeah appreciate that yeah um
1: i'll, I'll, I'll make a note right now i'll, I'll have them email you
0: uh, yeah um what else uh <laughs>
1: think that's all of it so um same time next yeah. week 10 a.m 10 a.m eastern time sunday next week for uh, part five and yeah everyone get the book i'll put that guy in touch with you and uh okay. dale comstock the american badass and one day the nsa will uh they'll release the good ep- they'll release the good episodes so uh yeah after
0: uh, i'm in jail yeah <laughs> after <afterwards>, we're <afterwards, laughs> both
1: in jail and or dead so um but until then yeah. just enjoy this all right dale see you next week man
0: All right, brother. Be good, man. Take care, everybody. everybody.
1: Peace. God bless America. Stay safe, everybody.